Yo, and we are live. Welcome back to another episode of the Tim King Show, brought to you in live right here on the Bloodline Entertainment Network. As always, hosted by your boy, yours truly, TK. And as always, you can find the Bloodline Entertainment Network at the Bloodline ENT on all major social media platforms, YouTube, all major audio platforms, and the website, bloodlinenetwork.com for all your sports, wrestling, entertainment, and podcast needs. But today, oh, today, tonight, I have such a very special guest. I, I had the pleasure of meeting this man about a year ago at his uh, tour. God, just the, the nicest man, the nicest man, part of my childhood. I'm not, I'm not going to keep rambling. I'm just going to bring him on in. My man, my friend, Marcus Buff Bagwell, welcome to the Tim King Show. Welcome to the Bloodline Entertainment Network. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing fantastic, man. I, uh, you know, just, I got this thing called sobriety really, really going great for me. Uh, you know, I just never really thought, um, I never really saw myself being fully sober being able to rock the word sobriety was not i I don't even think in my run it was even a a cool thing to even say um it wasn't negative it wasn't positive it was just um it wasn't possible um with the schedule that we had to keep i had a pill tim for everything i had a pill for working out i had a pill for going to sleep i had a pill for getting up i had a pill for just going out uh, you know, going out at night, maybe. Um, I just had a, and I thought that's how everybody worked. I thought everybody had a pill to do something. And I worked myself into a situation with pills uh, as a reward system. And it became a very vicious cycle because of that. Uh, everybody knows, obviously, that I was in probably the best shape, top five best bodies maybe in the history of pro wrestling. Um, buff, I would argue the fact that well, I, buff you got yeah, right for a reason. I would, I would argue the fact that I was definitely in the top 10 in the history. And to do that, how I got there was I had a reward system. I, when we would work out um, after my workout is when I rewarded myself uh, some muscle relaxers and pain pills and beer. And that became a vicious cycle because the harder you work out, the more you can take the pill and feel the pill more, the more the alcohol kicks everything in and it really becomes a very big addiction. But at the same time, it makes you get that workout in. So you reward yourself from not feeling guilty about, I didn't miss the gym today. I, I, all my stuff's done at the house. I, I, I'm in great shape. So now I can reward myself because I deserve it. And that's what Dallas calls we, the story we tell ourselves. Um, a lot of people at rehab say stuff like they had to have a bag to go to work for energy. They had to have a bag to, you know, work eight hours. They had to have something to do it. And that's just the story we tell ourselves. And we all do it. We're all guilty of telling ourselves this is okay. I broke my neck on live on television. I was paralyzed for eight minutes. I can take pain pills because I broke my neck. That's the story I tell myself. I I have sleep apnea. I have severe sleep apnea. I wear a CPAP machine. I have a mask on my face at night. 
I can take a Xanax. I deserve that. That's the story we tell ourselves. And that story is a lie. So when this came up um, and it was time to get clean, I had the car wreck and went through a, a building in the, at the back of Cumberland Mall and ran through a whole Marta bus station bathroom, leveled the whole building. And I mean, I was in the car driving, but I wasn't there, you know. And um, from that, it was just time to realize that I'd already escaped death several times. And this is, again, another time that I that I got out of it. But this time, not scot-free. I This time, I hurt myself. You know, this time, I really hurt myself with my right knee. It ex- my right knee, a uh, patellar tendon exploded. And this time, I had left a mark, man. And I was really mad at myself over it. And it was time to get clean because I was really really frustrated with hurting myself two and a half years later i'm still hobbling around and am waiting to get my knee replacement surgery as we speak so um it really bothered me so it was time to get clean so i'm seven months clean seven months in a couple of weeks i'm not a day counter i'm a sobriety day counter i'm august 27th 2021 is my sobriety date and uh yeah so um and I say 21, it's 22, August of August of 22, uh, but still seven months clean. And um, it's just so great. I, I, didn't think, I didn't think I could do this. I really didn't. And I'm able, the main word I can use with my sobriety is freedom. I'm free from prescriptions. I'm free for having to make friends with pharmacists. I'm free from having to count my pills on a daily basis. And if I'm going to be out and what am I going to do if I'm out? And Oh my God, am I going to have a seizure coming off Xanax? And Oh God, I got a drink. It's Sunday. It's Saturday night. Oh God, is the liquor stores open Sunday morning? Freedom. Beautiful. First of all, congratulations. Congratulations. So very much, much seven months is so impressive. Right. I know you said you're not a day counter or sobriety counter. August 27th, we're April 11th. That is so very impressive. Congratulations. That is just a phenomenal job. Kai, I'll ask you a couple of honest questions if you don't mind about the sobriety, okay? Love it. How how hard has this struggle been? Because I, I got to imagine, like we you said, having the award system, drinking, Xanax, how hard has this seven months been on a daily basis for you? Um, the first couple of months was, was, was real tough. Um, I went to a place called Blackberry Recovery in North Georgia and it was the first rehab that I call, I, I couldn't punch a bunch of holes in it. Um, what I, what I mean when I say that is I couldn't, I couldn't make it, I couldn't make it not make sense. Everything they did there made sense for the first time. And it got to be where I, I couldn't punch holes in it like, well, that, that, that don't count because, you know, this is a better way. Every way they did was the best way I've ever seen it done. So I actually dove in and I went to class and I learned things. I actually learned tools that if I would have learned before, I'm not sure they were teaching this stuff before, but if I would have listened and learned, I probably could have got clean the last rehab I went to. But one of the things is called PAWS, P-A-W-S, post-addiction withdrawal syndrome. And um, what that is, is for 18 months of coming off opiates, you can still have a withdrawal. And if I would have known that 
Because what I do when I feel withdrawal, withdrawals for me is sweaty back, yawning, tears. That's an opiate type withdrawal for everyone. But everybody does has different ones and different ones affect them. And it makes them think, oh, God, I'm having a withdrawal. Well, when I have withdrawal, I instantly go to my bag and chip a Xanax and put it under my tongue. And it knocks it right out. But they teach you other ways to deal with it and like breathing and taking your time and just calming down, taking some deep breaths. And yeah, it may take two minutes longer, but it's going to go away. And they taught me that it will go away. And they also taught me that that pause post addiction withdrawal symptoms, it's something that can happen for 18 months. That's a long time. So before around six, seven months, if I felt like that, if I had a symptom, I'd go to my back, have a Xanax, put it in my tongue. And now I use my tools that Black Bear taught me and I sit down and take deep breaths and, you know, just calm down for a minute and it goes away. And if I would have had those tools before, I think I could have done it. But with that and sleeping with my CPAP machine and thinking I couldn't sleep without Xanax and I would tell Dallas and everybody, oh, I, I can't come off Xanax. I, I got to sleep. I can't sleep without it. I sleep like a dead person now. It's crazy. And, 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 but again, that was a very big part of my sobriety. If I couldn't sleep, I would have probably tried something else or, or ventured off to getting back in that same reward system routine. But when sleep fell into place and I bought into my addiction, I really felt like it was something I could take over and fix. Um, but the first first couple of weeks, man, was was real hard. And then after that, man, I really started coming together pretty quick. I mean, things happen like, you know, airplanes and, and you know, and, and bars and airports. Airports are probably the biggest uh, trigger for me because okay. nobody flies sober. Uh, right. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody, none of the boys I ever get flew sober. And I'm in first class up there and there's, liquor everywhere and beer everywhere. So it's, that's a very tough one, but alcohol was not really my drug of choice. You know, prescription drugs were mine. Um, I have six DUIs and none of them are alcohol. None. So no, it wasn't no like, shit. Wasn't like, yeah, none. None it of them. Like I wasn't trying to be drunk. It just, I wasn't ever drunk. So finally they started blood testing me, seeing that I had Xanax, somas and things like that in my mm-hmm. system. And I started getting DUIs you know, driving under the influence of drugs. So, um, and, and again, you know, so that that's, that's, but this time alcohol was a big deal. Uh, this go around for whatever reason, I was taking my pills correctly, kinda, but I was really hammering the alcohol thinking I was, it's called cross addiction. You, you switch one drug for another, you switch alcohol for pills, you switch, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm not, I'm clean now. I smoke pot only. And, if to each person, each each their own, that's not sobriety, but it could be recovery. Um, if you can smoke pot and your life stay manageable, good luck. I I can't. I know that if I start smoking, I'm going to start doing something else. It'll be prescription drugs next and alcohol, then I'm right back in the same routine. Um, so I just had to come up with uh, little tricks at the beginning, like empty stomach for pill heads are is a very big trigger because that's when you get the most high so instantly out of the gate i would eat something get something else. as soon as i ate no matter what i'm not going to take a pill now because it's going to waste it defeats the point it defeats the point 
And so that was the little things I learned in the beginning to not want to take pills. And then it slowly got to where I was eating more healthy and then zero carbs and, you know, protein intake and then training again. And then all of a sudden you realize, how did I even do the pills before? And it just becomes a, a, a fun thing that you're trying to compete against. And then becomes, then it becomes a proud thing. Um, and that's where I'm at now is I'm proud about it. I'm, I'm proud to be seven months clean and it's a big deal to me. So I'm just very happy where I'm at. And again, the freedom part of it is so worth it, but it's, it was really tough at first, but I'm really got the lick of this thing. Um, at least of now, I don't, you know, one thing they say not to do is say, I got this because you never got it. It's just a matter of you, you're, you're doing well, but we don't got it. I'm just doing really good. And I'm very happy. I'm very happy that you're doing well, man. You are, you seem fantastic. Your Instagram, you look fantastic while you're working out in the gym. Again, go check out Marcus, uh, go check out Buff, sorry. Go check out Buff at MarcusBuffBagwell.com for all things Buff. You can follow him at MarcusBuffBagwell on Twitter, at MarcusBuffBagwell on Instagram. Go and check out Buff for sure. Look at this dude. Throw that back up one more time if you can. Yeah, man, he's still got this stuff. Buff is the stuff, baby, for sure. So I don't want to dwell on the past or anything. I just want to know quickly how um, this happened, or not how it happened, but how you got recovered, right? So everything happened with the dude. We don't got to talk about that. Um, Shit happened. Then you went and saw Dallas. Is that how the recovery started again? Or what made you realize seven months ago on August 27th, I've got to do this. Like, this is it, or it's my life. Like, what drove Um, you there? It was uh, my, my knee. My knee was, um, I had four vicious wounds on my knee and it wasn't getting, it wasn't getting any better. Um, they came from like water blisters and it just started with a little blister and they ended up being four horrible, horrible wounds. Two of the wounds were from surgery that wasn't healing, but two were from water blisters and I just couldn't get a grip on it, man. I couldn't get, no doctor would look at my knee till the wounds were gone and and, and the wounds wasn't healing. And we were, the show started here, the change or die show that for Dallas is the Dallas is shooting the docu series. And we were shooting that and I'm on crutches. And, but up till before the show started, I was really, really hammering, you know, alcohol and depressed. And yeah. so when the show started and the show being change or die, I kicked out and I was like, okay, so I quit drinking and really focused on everything was doing well but I still wasn't healing. And I, so I felt like I wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't working. It wasn't, I wasn't healing. So why am I staying sober? So I, as soon as we stopped shooting on Thursdays, as soon as we, I stayed drunk Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when I was on the road working and then right back Monday, I showed up Monday sober again. And I like, I was cleaning everybody and I'm fine. I'm good. And then, so it rocked like that for a while. Then finally, I blasted everybody on the show and put everybody on full blast and they kicked me out of the house, you know, and that'll show on the show, the show when it comes out, it'll, it'll play out and tell all what happened. And it's a, it's a great, great show. It's going to be phenomenal when it comes out and it, um, but they booted me out of the house and I, I got clean. It was time to get clean. And they, and my, Dallas came at me and um, Steve, you and everybody and my niece. And they were like, look, you know, we're, we're out of your life if you don't go to rehab. And I think they thought I was going to argue, but I was, 
I was tired, man. I was tired of, of doing it. And I just, I, and I really wanted some help with my knee, but I wasn't getting it, but I knew there was, I knew I had to fix me first anyway. And Dallas, he walked in. I didn't know what was happening. I was, I thought they were, I thought I was just coming down to, I think they had lied to me about coming back in the show or something. And, and I went by here. I was on the way to the airport to go see this crazy ass girl in Texas. Something's and, never uh, changed, huh? Sometimes it don't. <laughs> and so they knew where I was going and they were like, I said, I'm going to see Ken. They're like, Mark, we know where you're going to see. And I was like, no, I'm not. And they were like, so Dallas grabbed my phone and he goes, look, bro, we're out of your life if you don't go to rehab now. And I go, well, I'm not going now. And they go, well, we're out of your life. And so I was like, well, I said, oh, well, let's talk about this for a minute. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to wiggle my way out and I'm, they're not letting me wiggle. And so I, I say, look, I said, I'll, I'll go, I'll go. So I went to Black Bear. And um, so the judgment was because it was just, I was, I was just time to get, my way didn't work, obviously, with drinking and checking out. So I just decided that, you know, I didn't want to lose my niece. I didn't want to lose Dallas. Uh, I wanted them in my life. So the bet, the deal was I had to go to do that. And so, um, you know, again, you can't see this side of the rainbow till you do it, but it's just so beautiful on this side now, but it was, it was a, it was a big deal to go. It was scary and all that and the 90 days. And it was just yesterday. I was thinking 90 days, you know, and now it's been, you know, seven months. So it just always, it was just time for me to get clean. And I did, but um, at the same time, without Dallas and without their support team of Steve, you and my niece, there's no way I could have did this, bro. They, yeah. they, it's, I don't know how anybody does it without a support team. I just don't. Um, the support team is the whole catch. It's the whole key to staying sober. Because then you don't want to let them down. And then you don't right. want to let yourself down. You, Mark, you're clean for 90 days, 120, 150, seven months. Dude, again, right. great job. Seriously, Thanks. awesome, awesome job. I'm proud of you. You're going to be an inspiration story to so many people. I know you are. So great job. And, you know, keep it on, man. Just going to. Amazing, amazing job. Let's talk some wrestling, should we? You want yeah. to talk a little wrestling? Right. All right, let's talk some wrestling, baby. Some wrestling. Do you watch current wrestling or no? I do. Okay, cool. So a couple of things I want to talk to you about first. I guess, and I'm not going to ask you to throw him under the bus or anything. Bret Hart, he he continues. He's out in the public. He's got a, a podcast now, I think. He talks about current wrestling. He says it's, it's complete shit. He says WWE shit. You see guys standing around catching guys on the outside. They didn't do that in their day. AEW shit because John Moxley's putting a fork in people's head. What do you think about those kind of statements? And what do you think about current wrestling as is? I think um, when I watch, when I watch current wrestling, I, as of 2021, excuse me, instead of go back to 2001 when Vince bought us. Okay. And when Vince bought the WCW, first of all, there's no wrestler in the history of time that could that has been main event one week and fired the next week except me there's no way you can possibly piss enough people off especially if you're not even at the company you're at home how could you possibly piss enough people off in one week to be fired in your hometown from main event to fired crazy cost me millions of dollars bro millions 
And but still it happened. But my point from that day forward was if I could look at the TV and see that I saw people more than one person that I could see was a flag bearer, a flag carrier that was going to take over where a buff, a Luger, a Sting, a Goldberg, where those guys could go home and these guys are going to take over then I could sit at my house, watch the show and go, you know what? It was time for me to slide out. It was time for me to move on and give the flag to those guys. And the problem with that is, is 22 years later, I still have not waiting on that guy. Ooh. I, I just, I just don't see it. I, I may see a guy here and there, like a Cena, like a, like a Miz when he first came out and things like that. I may see a guy that was good, but not guys, not a team, not a show. It's just not there. They're just, I do love watching AEW and the flip-flop and flying, as we call it. But mm-hmm. it is really, it's a really fine line with that hokey waiting to catch them thing and, and looking good just doing a tackle drop-down hip toss clothesline. You know, I mean, it's just a big difference on waiting for that flip and how hokey and pokey it can look. Or sometimes it can look really good, but they have gotten great at doing the hokey pokey. It's just, it just isn't necessary with every single match, you know? Um, so I just, it, it is, de- I'm, I'm definitely on Brett's side about it a lot. And, and again, I, I, I don't get the Moxley thing at all. I never have. I don't think he's a good worker. I don't think Moxley is uh, a good talent. I don't think, uh, he's not a body guy. He's not a he's not a wrestling guy. Uh, I know he's over, and I, I I mean I don't know the guy. I just don't see him as a. I mean, put him in the ring and then think Sting. No way. Put him in the put Mox in the ring and think a Luger. No way. A Stone Cold. A Rock. Moxie's not even in the same galaxy as those guys. So what is he doing on top? I, I don't I don't get those kind of things, but. There's nobody else really there again, which makes me think, why am I not there? So I always wanted one of those things to happen where, you know, somebody stepped in and I said, Oh, I see, you know, like a, like a, like a theory. <laughs> okay. So, so you like theory. He is, um, he's beautiful. He's got, you know, he reminds me a lot of you actually, which is kind of crazy. He's got me the too. body. He's got the personality. He's got, what do you call it? The stuff, all right. He's got it. He does. Theory has has the it factor. Yes. Now I'm asking you, Mm -hmm. who else has it like theory? As far as the it factor, that's really tough because I'm a body guy too. Like I love John Moxley. If you watch my intro, you clearly see John Moxley in in there. I'm a John Moxley guy, but I, I get what you're saying. When I grew up on wrestling buff mark, I grew up on you in my in my grandparents' basement. In Stars and Stripes, and we're going to talk about the tag team stuff, but I watched you like grow up in Stars and Stripes and then go with Paul or um, with, with Scotty Riggs and go against Pretty Wonderful and the Hollywood Blondes and all these. And I'm just like, this is a wrestler. This is wrestling. Like, I'm going to ask you about Hulk Hogan in a little bit. That's that's a wrestler, okay? Right. Hulk punch, body slam, leg drop. That's all you have to do if you could do this and this and this and get the right. crowd invested. Right. Um, so I totally get where you guys are coming from, um, for sure. And I'm, I'm glad I asked you that. I'm glad I was able to get your take. As far as who actually has it, Roman Reigns. He has it, in my opinion. He, is, he is it. 
He is everything. Seth Rollins is it. He is everything. Correct. He is in my, I've said it. If you watch my show, I've said a thousand times, the best overall wrestler in the world, bar none is Seth Rollins in the ring, on the mic, character, face, heel, gets the crowd involved. It doesn't matter. It's Seth Rollins. Roman Reigns. They tried the bullshit babyface stuff. Look at him when they put Paul with him. If you talk to me at WrestleMania 31, and I have people who can validate this. I said, Paul should have turned on Brock, joined Roman then. Roman could have been this seven, eight years ago, but yeah. they don't have that mindset in the back. Like, no, I'm not saying I'm a fan who's got the mindset. Give me the pencil. I'm just saying, but they should have thought about that. Sure. You know, but you're, but Seth Rollins, again, we're on the same boat. And again, but think about that. Seth Rollins, you know, again, who does Seth Rollins in theory and these top guys we're talking about, who does they remind you of? And I can't help but say the words, me. They remind me of Buff Bagwell. They're, they're guys, I guarantee you, that have taken a Buff Bagwell playbook out of for their for their career. And But again, that's because they got the it factor, though, man, is they got the look. They got this. They can do the tackle, drop down, leapfrog and make it look great. They can do the dropping. They can do anything. They can be a baby. They can be a heel. And again, sometimes like Buff, that gets that's a double edged sword because you also fit with every category of losing for guys. You fit in that category of getting beat every week. Like Dolph Ziggler, you're like so Ziggler. good, you go and put someone over every single week. And that's where I kind of feel. And I was going to ask you about it in a little bit. Fuck it. Let's talk about it right now. You are a five time, five time, five time WCW tag team champion with four different partners. I loved your tag teams. Like I said, you were such a, a, a young baby face, literally not a, not a face, but a literal baby face with two cold Scorpio. As I'm sitting in my grandparents' basement watching this guy, like I'm six years old, like this is fucking awesome on WCW Saturday night. And then, then you go, who, who else, who would you go with? Then you got the Patriot and Stars and Stripes. Yes. How cool was that? Like that was that was probably my favorite of the tag teams. Scorpio was special because he was so flippy, but the Patriot in this mask was so cool, dude. Yeah. Stars and stripes and the way you guys beat pretty wonderful. It was such an upset. Um, and then you guys won it twice, and then you had um Scotty Riggs, that was super dope, and then yeah. even a little later was Shane Douglas. But yeah. um, I do want to talk about you as a tag team wrestler because you also team with totally buff with Lex, and you team with vicious and delicious with Scott Steiner, and you team with Scotty or with Scott Norton, and then you team with Scott Scott Steiner. Like you were seven different teams. My God, but Buff, does it irk you that you never won a WCW singles title, the TV title, or the US title? When I know you you hurt yourself when you were right in your prime. I know that had to affect it. But when you see guys like Disco Inferno and Alex Wright, and I mean no disrespect to those type of guys, but dude, come on again, it. You are the stuff. Look at you. Face, heel. In the NWO, does it bother you that you never won a singles belt? What bothers me, I've really thought about this a lot lately. And um, being 53 years old, I really have, you know, got a, got, I was bad about a timeline. Because if you first asked me, if you asked me like 10 years ago, how long it took me to get in the business, I'd say it took me five years but it only took me about a year and a half. So my timeline was really bad back then, I think, because it just seems like it took me much longer to do things. But my whole career we're talking about that you just talked about was 11 years, bro. It's 
11 years. So my, my point is, yes, I'm devastated that I wasn't even in the running for a TV title. Wasn't even in the running for a United States title. Wasn't even in the talk for a world champion. But the reason why is I can say that there is no other wrestler that is at least proven to me so far that has got five championships with four different guys. There's nobody that I know of that's done that. Not with four different guys. And they definitely hadn't done it in 11 years. So I think I did so much with the tag team stuff. I'm not even going to blame WCW. I don't think there was time to even put me in those categories because they needed, always needed me in the tag team division. I was a great, a great tag team wrestler only because I did it for so long. I was great at it. I went from listening to running the whole finish to, with Lex and Steiners and Lugers and Steens and Nashes. I was the guy that they'd say, Bag, what do you think? And before it was over, we were doing everything Bagel said because I was good at it. And I was also good and easy to talk to with it. I was like, what do you guys think? You tell me. Let's. What about this? And why, I was just really good at the tag team thing. And the reason why I got in the tag team thing early was because I saw a shorter line to stardom. The line to be a world tag team champion was not very deep. And the line to be the world champion singles match was much longer. So I hopped in the tag division and was instantly a star in the tag division and thought, this is great. So I got really good at the tag team stuff. And they just, they really put a lot of love on me with the tag enough love that I think there wasn't a chance to actually put me in the running for any of the other stuff. They, they should have somewhere in there put me in the running for the world championship. I agree. I yeah, agree. Dallas Page got, I love him to death. We went up against, we went up against each other. That's rookie of the year. Mm-hmm. There, and he's got three world championships, three of them. So you guys wrestled sure. at Starcade too, if I'm not mistaken, right? Did you guys yeah. wrestle at a Starcade? Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Big and match. So, dude. you know, again, I think they put so much love on me with the tag stuff that it just, it really wasn't time to do anything for the other ones. But so I don't blame them. I just feel like, you know, I, I was, I conquered tag team wrestling in a great area. And it, I guess it was just not enough time to really get me in the other in the other worlds but i just i would love to have been in the a world champion and it's kind of sad that i never was even in the running but again i was always in the running for the world tag team time champions you know you were and you were a great tag team wrestler and it's crazy that like even like me who watched religiously i don't remember you as a tag team wrestler until i go back and think about it like dude buff was such a great tag team wrestler like vicious vicious and delicious was right. my favorite tag team of yours. Didn't even hey, win a look tag at this belt. right here. Look at this. Favorite tag team. What about the American Males, brother? Yeah! You've got to be kidding me. Yes! You've got to be kidding me. What's American going on, males. Scotty? The American, American Males. American Males. The American Males. Yeah! Let's go back and talk to yourself. I never heard you. This is delicious, really? No, the American <laughs> males. No, 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 that's it. It's the American <laughs> males all day. The American males. The American males. Yeah. yeah. Is that great? 
Wow. All right. <laughs> no, no. The American males were my favorite tag team. And uh, I yeah. love Scotty Riggs in the flock. It was, he was so badass. Yeah. The flock. The flock, baby. Yeah. Yes. I love yeah. it, man. Yeah, Scotty's Scotty's been uh, hanging around again, man. We're getting close again, back in the gym and stuff. There's gonna be a some American male stuff coming up in the future for sure, dude. That was wow. You made my night. You that did just made my night. You would tell Scotty that just like made my world, dude. Like that. I was love it. I love it. In, incredible. So I don't even have to ask you right now. I was gonna say who's the favorite of your tag team partners, but we'll just go ahead and we'll leave <laughs> and, it. And you know, and to be honest with you, I use not because he's here either. I promise, I'm saying this the truth. Uh -huh. It's Scotty's my favorite because of the time that we were together. It was, I had a lot of input with American males. It was, it was, it was kind of my baby and Scotty liked the same stuff. I liked with the tats and the earrings and the chokers and the cool outfits. He trusted me with all of it, but it was also, it was also the way he liked the shit too. He liked, you know, dressing cool and cool jeans and boots and, yeah. you know, chokers. And he, he, he was all about it as well. And it worked, you know, um, you know, the lethal weapon movie had came out. And so I was the one that named Scotty. Um, it was just a cool name. I liked the words Riggs. I like Gibson's, you know, Riggs and Bertal. And yeah. so I came up, I said, what do you, what do you think about Scotty Riggs? You know? And he goes, everybody liked it. Sting. Yeah. Oh, looks like we got Buff a little frozen there. It's okay. Yeah, Scotty Riggs showing up. What a appearance that was right here. That was there. You go. Okay. Hey. Yeah, Sting. You got you. Got, it seemed like you got Sting's approval on the Scotty Riggs name, huh? Yeah, we he really did. He was we was in Disney when I named Scotty because that was our first appearance down there. And you know, and the American Male thing was they 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 finally they believed in me on it because I was trying to tell them that you could have a goatee and earring and be a baby face and they wasn't sold on it so i showed my i shaved my goatee and they called me the next day and they go hey if you, you ain't shaved your goatee you have you know like, yeah and they went well we we, we want to do it so i said i can grow it back so i grow, tried to grow it back the best i could and here we went off to disney to do the tapings but we didn't have time to get our outfits together but i again i got to give myself a little credit because i just knew what to do. WCW taught me to be a great performer because they were a major big company. They didn't have time to cross all the T's and dot all the I's. So it made guys that cared really be careful and be ready for the unthinkable. So I, as soon as they said, we want to go with it, I already had a plan B. So I called Scotty. I said, look, Scotty, I got two workout shirts in my closet. I got a white one and a black one. And they look the same. I said, you go buy a pair of white cowboy boots and bring your favorite pair of jeans to Disney. I gave Scotty the white workout shirt, the sleeveless. I wore the black one. I had black boots, jeans. We got the Disney black and white sequence down the jeans we wore. Black and white American male on the back. First American male outfit was our jeans and some workout shirts I had. And they looked incredible. Yes. Love it. American males was, was off and running. Love it. it. It's amazing how that, like how those stories come about. Yes. So cool. Thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. So I did just see, and we're talking about underrated, the American males, hell of an underrated tag team. Right. Someone big time right now just put you over. I saw about a month ago ish, Cody Rhodes. He said of WCW workers wrestling, Buff Bagwell 
and Brad Armstrong, which I've always agreed. Brad Armstrong oh, yeah. is just God. You want to go? You want a worker? Go and look and see what Brad Armstrong can do in that ring. I actually forgot you guys team for a little bit, which was ironic. Yes. Um, so, ta- I, I a couple of questions. How did that Cody comment make you feel about you being underrated? Talk to me about just Cody Rhodes in general, and should he have lost that match at WrestleMania against Roman when his like the iron is hot right now? Should they have put that belt on him or not? I think Cody is in a, a great spot. First of all, Cody, you know, you got to realize he he got raised in the in the at Lasseter High School, which is right in the middle of where I lived. I could have gone to Lasseter High School, but they didn't have football the first year, so I stayed at Sprayberry. You know, I'm 12, 13 years older than than um, uh, more than that. I'm like 16 years older than 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 you know than Cody. But he was in the Cobb County thing. He come up with a buff bag one Cobb County and. Sprayberry High School, All County, All State, Buff Bagel, Marcus Bagel, but he was no near, nowhere even in my shadow because he's much too young. He had his own world. He was a badass wrestler, you know, state champion, killer. Um, you know, Cody was a stallion, and so he didn't need no help at all. But at the same time, in the world of pro wrestling, coming up, you know, Cody had a lot of stuff he had to go through with his Stardust stuff, and you know, getting through all that stuff and the heat his father may have had or not had, and you know, AEW and the Starcade and Sarcast and, you know, this all the, you know, the, the Conrad Thompsons and a lot of stuff came at Cody really fast too, but he survived all of it to stay on top. And the next thing I know, he is going up for the world championship with against Roman Reigns, the, one of the best heels in 30 years. So, and, and when I got to LA and I literally saw Cody on the billboard face to face for Roman, I was like, Wow, he got there really fast. And a lot of times that's not good, though. And I felt like it was too fast. So it was either going to be let's keep it fast and let's put the world title on him. Or do we need to just cool him off a little bit because he ain't quite ready for it yet. And I felt when he when he came out at Mania, and I was I was at Mania with with tickets inside the arena. First time I've ever been to a WWE show ever. And I'm there at Mania, and it just, I could tell he wasn't going to win it. It was it was too big. It was just a too big of a deal. And Cody had not, he paid enough dues to be the world champion. He'd not paid enough dues to beat Roman Reigns, I don't think. And it just, so I don't think it was time for him. That, that's not a bad thing, because Cody's, Cody's Cody Rhodes. He's going to be fine. But I do, I do like it that they cooled him off and let him regroup and make it back up again because that line is really short for Cody now to be the world champion. All he's got to do now, now that he's lost to Roman and gone for the world title, all he's got to do now is coast, stay healthy, and he will be the WWE heavyweight champion. Right. Right. And do you think Cody has it to be the WWE world champion? Cody Rhodes has definitely got the it factor. If you would have asked me that five years ago, I would have said, no, he don't have it yet. I would have said that he he could have it. But when I saw stuff like the Stardust thing and some stuff like when I look back at stuff like that, I think he's not, he's not, he's not the rock. He's not a stone cold. He's not a sting. He's not a Luger. And neither am I. So let me clarify that. I'm not a sting. I'm not a Luger. I'm not a Roman Reigns either. So I'm telling you right now, that's a big, that's a, that's big time names right there. Stone Cold's, Rocks, Cena's, 
Flares, Lugers, that's big time, big star names. And this ain't there. It's not. It's at the edge of it. And that's where Cody Rhodes is. But now that he's gone up against Roman, that's further than Buff Bagwell's ever gone. So I think Cody is the Messiah. He is next in line to be the belt holder for a longer time than Cena, Roman, anybody. He's going to really have a great run. He's at a great age. He's where I was in 1998 being Buff Bagwell on Monday Night Nitro. There couldn't have been a better character at the time. There can't be a better Cody Rhodes at the time of right now than where he's at. I agree. I agree. And let's go back to those days, okay? And it's it's ironic. We're the American males. We were just talking about them. You were the second WCW member to become an NWO member. So why did Bischoff or Turner or whoever were pulling those strings in the back, why did they go, hey, I want you, Marcus. I want you to turn on Scotty. And then you're going to become Buff, which, my God, Buff is the motherfucking stuff. What a character. <laughs> you always stood out to me my whole yeah. life, whether you were young Marcus or Buff. But what made them say, hey, you're going to the NWO? Me and Scotty were really excited about the tag team American Males, and we were really, really getting over and getting some energy and getting getting power. You know, we were, we beat Harlem Heat. Um, we, you know, we were definitely the top babyface tag team in the world. Um, and so we were, there were going to be lots of stuff coming at us. And we were, we were in Salisbury, Maryland. And, um, I'll never forget it because you don't forget when you join the NWO, but you know, it was so quick. I don't think it had gone around. Like, I, I don't remember going, man, I wish I was in the NWO. I mean, that didn't have time to go around yet. It was, I think it was still so far away of joining the NWO. I was just happy to be part of the team with Scotty Riggs. You know, we were, me and Scotty, a lot of people, nobody knows this, but me and Scotty were the dark match on the very first night show ever at the Mall of America. So really, me and Scotty Riggs were the very first Nitro match ever. Awesome. So after us was Brian Pillman and and, and um um how was it? uh Liger Juice and Thunder Liger. Um that was the very first match on TV ever, but the first match ever from a crowd on Monday Night Nitro was me and Riggs against Bunkhouse Bucks and Dick Slater. So awesome. Yeah, awesome, right? So, so cool. yeah, so yeah. me and Riggs were happy where we were at, and then uh Nash came in the locker room and said, Hey, uh, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure. He said, Look, do you wanna you know you want to join the NWO? And I went. Well, hell yeah. yeah! You know, I said, I said, what about Scotty? He goes, he goes. Well, right now we we, we just want to bring you in. I said, okay. And so it wasn't like great for Scotty by no means at the time, but at the same time, it would be something that nobody would want to argue against. I mean, who could argue the fact that anybody saying no to the NWO? So it was definitely a yes. And so the way they wanted to do it, that was the same night that Eric went out and said, hey. 30 days to join the NWO. If you don't, you're fired. And me and Riggs were first out of the gate, you know, and Riggs was trying to talk me out of it and all that. So we, uh, we would, went down through it and I turned on Scotty, you know, did the little turn. And from there, it was definitely time to come up with a name. You know, I needed a name. I needed a rock. I needed a stone cold. I needed a sting. I needed a name 
that other than Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Um, great name. I love my name and all that, but it was just time for a character. And we were on an airplane ride home from the West Coast. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. I don't even know what names we were coming up with. But in the very back of first class, in the dark lights, I mean, no lights, it was in the dark, we heard a voice say, what about Buff? And we all go, oh, my God, that's it. It was Nick Patrick. Wow. Nick Patrick is who named Buff Bagwell. Love it. And as soon as we heard Buff Bagwell, there was not another choice even given. It was like, that's it. I mean, that's it. Buff Bagwell. That's perfect. And it was. It was a great name. And But WCW would not let me drop Marcus. They just loved my real name. And they were pretty adamant about it. So the best thing I get them to do was Marcus Buff Bagwell, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was cool. And I liked it. But we, uh, but from, there, from that point on, you know, it was Buff. And I'm the stuff. And the girls can't get enough. And, you know, and I got ripped and shredded. And. It was just all from running, you know. You were a monster, dude. You look great, like everything. The uh the arm, yeah. not tassels, but the armbands and yeah. chokers. God, you yes. you were the stuff, dude. You were yes. absolutely awesome. Let me ask you a quick question if you don't mind. So you said Nash came to you, which is super fucking cool. These guys coming over from you know the big time coming over, not the big, not the big time, you know what I mean, but Nash and Hall coming over was... Well, they, they, they came, he came from the A locker room, the A locker room he came from to the B locker room, you know, to talk to him. We knew he was in there for something, and we were like, hey, Kevin, he walks up to me, and I'm like, what's going on, you know? So it was a big deal. Yeah, no, huge. So is there any, do you have any um, fun Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall stories? Like, what's your, what's your favorite? If it's just Hulk, that's cool. Just Nash, that's cool. Like, obviously, growing up, I was the biggest Hulk Hogan fan. And to see what he did, like, in WWF, the biggest baby ever, to going and becoming the biggest heel ever. Like, for that, I, I argue all the time is the GOAT Hulk Hogan, Stone Colder, Buff Bagwell. It's probably Buff Bagwell. But, um, <laughs> you know, I go back and forth between Hulk Hogan and Stone Cold, you know. Just because what Hulk Hogan did, he made the industry. He did it as a baby. He did it as a heel. So if you have, like, a cool Hulk Hogan story... I'd love to hear it. Have you got an outsider story? Scott Hall's the coolest dude ever. Kevin Nash, that show he does, the podcast, such a suave, smart guy. You have any stories? I'd love to hear it, my dude. I got several stories, but like Kevin, you can, first of all, Kevin, you got to realize me and Kevin were both Atlanta boys. He's from Michigan, but we're both Atlanta boys. Um, Kevin in Atlanta, Georgia, was the number one bouncer. At all the hottest nightclubs and all of the titty bars. He was the main guy. If there was a new club that opened, his bread and butter was at the Cheetah, which is the number one titty bar in Atlanta. That was his bread and butter. But his, his he made his money at when the new clubs would open, the brand new little cool clubs would open. He would go be the, the Patrick Swayze of, of those clubs. The, you know, he'd go be the cooler. You know, the back, the bouncer, the badass. Yeah. I mean, bro, we would get beside him and there wasn't no phones on, there were no camera, there were no phones and there sure wasn't no phones with cameras. So we would get beside him and have a regular camera. We didn't, we couldn't see us and we would take pictures beside him because it was so amazing how much smaller we were than Kevin Nash. 
So he's the bouncer at all these clubs, but I am the cool underage kid in there with the fake ID. So I'm the one that's running the club at 17 years old on this side, but he's the one that's really running the club. So we knew each other from that, even though there's 10 years difference in our age, that 10 years was really closed together because I was very mature for my age and I was running the clubs like partying, running them while he was running them for real. So one night we're in the club and we're at this, uh, it's a brand new club that opened in Buckhead and I'm in there with a white Cabarici suit on, no shirt on. I got a choker and white boots, white pants, white jacket. And this, I broke up with some chick and she's there with, um, with her boyfriend. And so something happened and we, we just had gotten the club and it was a really happening club. And so we're sitting there and the girl says something and uh, the guy steps up and goes, don't talk to her that way. Pow. I knocked the guy out. She throws, <laughs> she throws red wine on my white outfit and I turn around right into the chest of Kevin Nash. Well, the belly button of Kevin Nash. <laughs> I look up and he goes, Bagwell, you did it right in front of me, man. So I go, Kevin, please don't kick me out, man. And so he had to kick me out. No, Kevin Nash no. kicked me out of the club in 1990, excuse me, 1988, 1989. <laughs> I was 19 or 18 or 19 years old, and he kicks me out of a club, not for having a fake ID, for knocking a guy out. <laughs> so me and Kevin knew each other way back. And then he started getting into wrestling. And so we, I remember talking to him about getting into wrestling. He was working out with WCW and I was working out with a guy named Steve, the brother Lawler at North Georgia wrestling. And we're both trying to come up in wrestling. He was just on the fast track because he was seven, one, 350 pounds. And I was five, 10, a buck 90. So, but I was awful pretty. So I had that going for me. Yep. So at the same time though, we we're kind of going and, he, you know, he went in as the master blaster and I came in, you know, I was at North Georgia wrestling as the fabulous Fabian, but Kevin, that's my Kevin Nash. Good story. The Hulk Hogan story is we would always walk in to, I mean, you can't, I can't think of a bigger high than this, but we would all meet and then go into Hulk's dressing room to go over what we were going to do when we came out as the NWO. I mean, I can't explain. I got chill bumps all over me right now. I just got goosebumps with you telling me that. And I'm not in the, in the industry at all. So, you know. And he has Coors Lights in the dressing room. So everybody's sitting around with Coors Lights. And we're all drinking Coors Lights together. And I'm sure everybody's probably taking a few things. And we're having a lot of fun. But we would talk about what we're going to do out at the, you know, out at on Monday Night Nitro. And it was just, it was surreal. You know, it was surreal, bro. And it was just so much fun to be in the NWO, bro. And, to, you know, and just things I would bring to it, like, you know, the me putting buff on the back of my shirt. You know, we all look the same out there. So I, I put buff on the back of mine, you know. Yeah. And then I, that, and me being in shape a lot of times, I, I kept my shirt off, you know. As, as long as I had the NWO do-rag on or something or the top yeah. hat, you know. I, and that's where the top hat came from is I didn't want to wear my shirt. Cause I was in shape, you know, oh, cool. so the top hat, what a top hat came into play, you know? So, so Hogan was great with the locker room stuff and Nash was just always great. Hall was just incredible. 
one time we're on a we're in a limo shooting something for the NWO. And of course, me and Scott Steiner had this stuff called hot stuff on. And hot stuff really stunk real bad, but it made us look really good on TV. It tanned you and it brought the veins to your surface. And it was a real good, real good product to use for bodybuilders. And we're all in a we're all in a limo together, piled on top of each other. And we got that, it smelled like icy hot. So it really stunk really bad. And Hogan's like, Bagwell, do you got hot stuff on? And I went, no, sir. And he went, you fucking liar. And I go, <laughs> I said, well, I don't want to get in trouble, man. And he goes, I can't believe you put hot stuff on to come get in the limo. So he got, got in trouble with Hulk. I said, Hulk, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. So, but I wanted to look good for TV, you know. Mm-hmm. But another time we were on the elevator. And all of us, all the NWO was on this elevator going to like the go position. It was a big arena somewhere. And Lex and me were together on, we were like really training a lot during this time. And I had my shirt off and man, I was in shape. And Lex looks at me and he goes, he said, Bagwell, he goes, you didn't tell me you were going to take your shirt off. And I go, well, yeah, I decided to take, I decided to go without my shirt tonight. And so he goes, I wish you would have told me that you know, like that, you know, and, and Scott Hall goes, you still got time to take yours off, Lex. <laughs> and, and I felt like I, I just went, Ooh. I wanted to hide for Lex and Lex was, Lex said, no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> and Scott, I just remember Scott going, you still got time to take your shirt off, Lex, if you want to. But I was in incredible shape this yeah. night. I don't know why I look so freaky this night. But he, he didn't, didn't want. He didn't want Lex didn't want you to put him to shame that night, huh? Right. He was yeah. like, he goes, nah, yep. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Damn. Oh, God, that's rude. so freaking funny. But it was stuff like it was that, stuff like that all the time. God, Scott. Yeah, he was just cool. Just in that, you knew him clearly. I didn't know him, but he just seemed super cool. So cool. Yeah. Lex, you've brought him up multiple times. Another childhood hero of mine. Him not winning the world title at the 93 SummerSlam, I still scream about to this day as I'm clearly talking about it right now when I'm talking to you. But you brought up Lex multiple times. I love Lex Luger. Um, the too. A&E biography was incredible on him. I'm so glad like he finally gets some shine. He doesn't get the shine in the pub that he deserves. Um, talk, talk to us really quick before we get out of here about Lex. Why is he so special? Why should he be a Hall of Famer? And then... Why should you be a damn Hall of Famer? Because you should be a Hall of Famer too, Buff. Lex Luger is the total package, bro. He's 6'6", of the best body in the entire business of pro wrestling history. He is the absolute leader of consecutive years of being on top number one with his body. There's no reason in the world that he should not be in the absolute top of the list for the Hall of Fame, bro. It's just crazy that he's not. He is the total package Lex Luger. He is at least 10 years late on being in the Hall of Fame. Lex Luger is the epitome of the first body guy that figured out how to be a pro wrestler. He was numero uno. I remember being home and seeing him come out and thinking, Oh my God, I love that guy because he looks like he looks like a bodybuilder and he can do this. Nobody else looked like a bodybuilder and could do it. So that's the kind of guys I rooted for. I wanted the guy that looked the part. I just didn't want the guys that that had to wear their shirts. 
go back in time with pro wrestling, go back 15 years ago and back from there, you took your shirt off when you got in the ring to wrestle. Even in my run through the 90s, you didn't see guys that wore shirts. If you wore a shirt, you were hiding something, period. You took your shirt off to be a pro wrestler. That's what the old timers did. That's what the legends did. That's what Buff Bagwell did. That's what Lex Luger did. These guys now throw a shirt on. They don't look the part and they act like the pro wrestlers. That bothers me a lot. They're hiding something that's not fair. Take your damn shirt off, be a man, own what you look like, and wrestle. Lex Luger should be a Hall of Famer 1 million percent. But then again, so should I, but not necessarily now. But I do think that Buff Bagwell does draw the right numbers, no different than a baseball player, no different than a football player. Mm-hmm. Buff Bagwell holds things that should result into a Hall of Fame ring. He holds a five-time World Tag Team Champions with four different partners. It's never been done. If it has been done, somebody tied me. I don't know nobody that's beat me. I don't even know nobody that's tied me. Even somebody that tied me, I'm one of few people to have five titles with four partners. I'm one of the only guys, not only guys, I'm one of the top 10 guys of the best bodies in the history of wrestling. That's saying something. I'm the rookie of the year. I'm one of the number one youngest guys in the history of wrestling. Those things are numbers and resumes that lead to a Hall of Fame ring. I hope and pray to God that the WWE sees that one day. I do think I get a chance of being in the Hall of Fame, and I give I give anything for it. I really hope they see that my attitude's changed. I'm in a much better place. I'm sober. I'm able to, to do that. I've been able to be take that pleasure and take that reward of getting in the Hall of Fame and take it with sobriety and recovery and know that they wouldn't be embarrassed to have me on their show. I would be part of the WWE umbrella, part of the family, and would love to be able to carry that ring and say, look what I earned for the 34 years, breaking my neck, shoulder replacement, hip replacement, and a knee replacement. And by God, it was all worth it because of this ring. And Lex Sluger deserves the exact same thing. Oh, God, you got my heart right now. Earned, both of you. Lex, you earned, deserved, and earned. My God, very impassioned speech. I hope Triple H or Vince or Endeavor, whoever, maybe one day I'll listen to that because, my God, you do deserve it. You have earned it. Same at Lex. My God. Buff, before we get out of here, I want just a couple of quick questions for you. Yeah. I saw that uh, some article. It was, I don't know. It seemed pretty fabricated, but I was like, ah, I want to ask these questions. So just quick, true or false. WCW wanted you to fake your own death in a storyline. Is this true? <laughs> um, it is, it's 100% true. Uh, I, I, you know, of course, I don't remember the whole, the way I remember it. Me and Eric have never talked about it. And I love Eric Bischoff. I love him the most. Me and him have never talked about this, but I've heard his rebuttal went against what I said about it on, on a podcast. But what I remember fully was that Eric on a private jet to a nitro wanted to have me die on a plane wreck. And they were, I was going to come back at Halloween Havoc as a ghost. <laughs> and and I remember that vividly, and because I mean I remember calling my parents and telling my parents about it and everything. 
And what I just said out loud, do you think I would dream that up? No. Why would I dream about killing myself on an airplane ride? So it's no, not something I came up with, but I tell you what pay-per-view it was. It was a pay-per-view where I dressed like George Clinton. Okay. okay. Whatever that one was, it was Halloween Havoc at the MGM Studios, and I did okay. something with a George Clinton mask and all that. Eric wanted me to come out as a ghost after dying and come out like float across like a ghost across the stadium. And, the ghost of Buff Bagwell? And it was supposed to be a plane wreck, but I don't quite know the rest of the details. Keep in mind, it was mm-hmm. 30 years ago, so I'm not yeah. sure exactly. But, you know, it was it was a death from a plane ride, and I was coming back at Halloween Havoc, and it came out of Eric Bischoff's mouth to me on a private jet with other ears. It wasn't just me and him, mm-hmm. but I don't quite know what other ears there were. Because it wasn't, you know, we, we we knocked around we knocked around a lot of stuff on plane rides, you know. Yeah. So course, I don't. I just looked at it like, cool, let's do it, you know. And then it, and then when it got presented back up to Eric, Eric kind of acted like I I thought it up, and that's not true. <laughs> that's funny. Wow. Yeah, that would have been interesting to see you floating across the street in some ghost garb or something along those lines. This right. one, this is very interesting, and this would have been a total career changer for sure. WCW considered you to be a member of the Four Horsemen. I never heard that. Okay. okay. Never. Matter of fact, this is the first time I've ever heard it ever. Cool. I saw, like I like I said, I didn't believe a lot of the shit I was reading, which is why there were 10 things, and I'm only asking you three questions. Right. <laughs> and the third one is WWE, I believe this, WWE wanted you to be the face of their WCW brand. Is that true? Yes. It was definitely known that I was, you know, I was going to be the main dude for the WWE, I mean, coming from WCW, I was going to be, you know, they hired Dallas, me, and Booker, but mm-hmm. it was known throughout the boys that, you know, Buff Bagwell was going to be the main dude. You know, I was going to be the main cat. I was main event on Monday Night Raw. It wasn't Dallas. It was Booker T and Buff Bagwell. Right. So I was the youngest. I was the best looking, I felt. I was yeah. the best in shape. I was the youngest to take the flag and run with it. I really believe they were expecting me to be the main cat at the WWE coming from WCW. It's just, I feel like, you know, with the, with the Shane Helms thing that happened and me slapping him at school and, Mm -hmm. um, and then him hitting me with a, with a bottle and all that. So I feel like he, um, you know, I feel like it caused some heat and made him think maybe I wasn't the right, wasn't the right thing to do, but, I can't be the only wrestler that slapped somebody before. <laughs> no, so way. Quite, no way. And I got hit back. And so I don't quite know why it's such a big deal. But the things I heard, like, fired because of bad match. Are you fucking kidding me? Who gets fired over having a bad match? If it was horrible, you get warned. Hey, bag, well, you do one of those again, you're fired, right? I don't remember getting warned. I got fired, but, and I don't remember getting fired. I got released, released, whatever that means. So I do admit the same thing. Like a medical facility. Yeah. So, so, you know, and again, the other one was my mother called. Okay. Let's say she did call fired. How do you fire a five-time world tag team champion? Because his mother called. Stupid. I mean, with a body like that. Five-time world tag team champion because he had a bad match. Are you kidding? 
Go back 11 years, and I beg somebody to find any other match they think is even kind of bad and tell me about it. Because, brother, it didn't happen in my matches hardly at all. Even in Booker's match, you can criticize it if you want. But as far as a bad match, a bad match to me is a missed clothesline, um, a weak punch, a messed up spot, tripping in the ring. None of that happened. You may not think it was a good match, but there were no mistakes. There were no dubs. There were no flubs. There were no stupidity looking. There were no embarrassing things that happened in that match. Every single move was executed perfectly. So even though it may not have been a good storyline match, the part they don't talk about is the WWE, Pat, Pat, um, Pat, Pat, yeah, he does main events for WWE. He thought Johnny Ace was going to come talk to us for the main event. And they both thought they each were going to talk. Neither nobody came and talked to me and Booker. So we go out at WWE with no guidance of what we were supposed to do. And then we get in trouble for a bad match. Well, I mean, why is that our fault? We just went out and did what we thought was right at the WWE. And yeah, I was out of shape a little. I was nervous a little. But again, fired? Fired? I mean, I just don't get it. So to this day, I never will get it. Um, I don't understand. The only thing I do know is it makes me be able to kind of swallow the whole thing is I know I got screwed over from just simply being main event one week and fired in your hometown the next. That just don't happen, bro. If there's something else going on, me and Booker should have never wrestled in Tacoma. Why would you not wait seven days and put Buff Bagwell and Booker T in Atlanta, Georgia, in Ted Turner's backyard? Home of WC Dub, baby. Home of wrestling, baby. First match of the invasion, let's put it right down Ted Turner's throat in his backyard. No, let's do it 5,000 miles away in Tacoma. Silly. So we knew something was up that night. Me and Booker were backstage talking with our hands over our face, talking like, look, bro, this ain't good. I was like, well, what do we do? Something we can do about it. So we knew something was up there. So when when I got the call Wednesday by Jim Ross and said, stay home, don't come to the the, the, uh, spot shows. We got big plans for you on Monday. And then the rumor got out that my mom called to ask me to get out of those shows. Now, why would I wrestle Monday Night Raw with 20 staples in my head, but take off the other shows after it? Again, it was like a setup of some sort to so the public could see that I did something wrong. But years later, they see that, you know what? That match wasn't so bad after all. And then they go, you know what? So what if your mom called, even if she did call? So the things that I got fired for, supposedly, years later are like, really? So I don't ever really know. It's, it's, it, is, it is what it is. It's gone. It's done. I hate that it cost me a wonderful run and a lot of money, you know. But at yeah. the same time, it is what it is. I'm clean. I'm sober. I feel great. I'm 53. I'm on top of the world. And I'm hoping for a Hall of Fame run, and that's all I can hope for at this stage. I'm not depressed. I'm not regretting what I've done. I got no regrets. I do it all over the same exact way. It all went down exactly like I wanted to go down, except being released from the WWE. But at the same time, everything happens for a reason, and I'm here today. 
You're the man. Seriously. You are the man. Clean since August 27th. Seventh month. Seven months clean. Buff, Marcus, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. You can find Buff. Oh, that's not it. That's the wrong one. My bad. You can find Buff and Marcus BuffBagwell.com for all things Buff Bagwell. Follow Buff at Mark Buff Bagwell on Twitter and Marcus Buff Bagwell on Instagram. Buff, you got anything for the people before we get out of here? Just so thankful that everybody stayed with me over the years, man. It means so much to me that they have. I, I love, I love this business. I love it so much. It's been the funnest thing I've ever done in my life. I take it very serious from day one. I always have. Um, it means a lot to me. I just know the fans mean a lot to me as well. I always, I never turned down an autograph. I never shunned a fan away. And I didn't do that to be nice. I did that because it was me. It's what I do. It's just the way I am. I'm just a good guy. I'm a nice, genuine, good guy from the heart. And so I wanted to show that I was a good guy to people when they saw me. And I just appreciate the fans sticking with me through all the, through all my demons that kind of came at me. But at the same time, I'm back. And it's beautiful that you're back and you are a good guy. And I saw that when I met you, I saw it. There was a fan in the crowd that, you know, contemplated doing the worst thing that they could do to themselves. And they're still here because of you. And like, it was crazy. You were talking about it while that guy was sitting there and it ended up being him. What a beautiful story. You do that for people. You're an inspiration. Your sobriety is an inspiration. Thank you for the memories for me when I was a kid. And thank you for what you're doing for people. Like I said, an inspiration. Buff, thank you so much for coming on the show. Marcus, I appreciate you greatly. Again, go to the website, follow him on Twitter, follow him on Instagram. Thank you so much, Buff. And um, as always, you can find the Tim King Show right here on the Bloodline Entertainment Network, bloodlinenetwork.com. And we out. Thanks, Buff. You're the man. Peace out. Love you, brother.